Welcome to the Audiation in the Wild podcast with your hosts, Bo Talifer and Eric Rasmussen. Episode 34, Stages of Harmonic Audiation. Okay, Eric, so today we're going to talk about the stages of audiation and specifically how harmony lines up with the stages of audiation, which is something that I don't hear anyone really talking about. So I've I've felt that I wanted to go through the stages of audiation and really think how that interacts with tonal audiation, obviously rhythm audiation, and and really think deeply about you know these stages because the first one's easy. So there's six stages of audiation, and the first stage is this momentary retention. Right, and that can apply tonally or rhythmically. Let's not talk about the individuals yet. But we just—you just heard something, and then you're going to hold on to it beyond your perception. Perceiving being, you know, it hits your eardrum. You know, some people might not even call that perception until it goes to the brain and it's perceived. Other people describe that as uh, sensation before perception, mm-hmm. like you've sensated it. But without getting deep into early, early bits, Gordon says stage one of audiation is you've heard something musically, and it could be rhythm, could be tones, could be music, could be anything, right? You could even a uh, bird call. And you hold on to that in your imagination, in, to, in your mind somewhere. In your working memory. Is- yes. Imagination has an issue because it's not an image. And some people in other music ed uh, mm. groups say, you know, you can imagine sound. And that's why Gordon come up, came up with audiation because image is visual. And audio is audio. <laughs> audio. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, for just uh, one thing on the stage one, I, I think you actually have to have a conscious experience, not to go super far down that, because if something could impinge on your eardrum, but you weren't paying attention to it, like if mm-hmm. we were in a, a mm-hmm. noisy room and there was a melody playing in the background, it technically hit my eardrum, but I did, I might not have been paying attention to it, so I didn't have an actual yeah, impression of the melody. Yeah, intentional or unintentional attention. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're paying attention, yeah, where it's accidentally coming, you know, into your uh, consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever see this, uh, this guy dribbles a basketball and they ask you to count how many dribbles he does? No. And they show a video and you, you're counting, you know, every time he dribbles the basketball and it might be like 25 or 26 times or something. Mm-hmm. And then they replay the video, and they say, "Don't, don't count the dribbles. Just watch the movie, watch the video." And there's a gorilla, a man in a gorilla suit that comes up and gets behind the guy while he's bouncing the ball, and you've never seen it. You just don't see it. So I've seen <laughs> that. I, I've seen that, but not with the. Uh, it was done with a different. Um, I don't know the proper term for this, but 
the, the initial task you were supposed to focus on, like counting the basketball, that was exchanged for something else. But th- yeah. this shows how how much your mind filters out sensory data when you have a goal. Yeah. So if your goal is to focus on the dribbling, you know, non-dribbling sensory information is just whoosh, just drowned out. Yeah. Really so so that might happen and does happen, I'm sure, in 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 music. Definitely. All right. Yeah, so I've you got to momentarily re- retain something with either some intention or without necessarily attending or without being intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Which is basically being interested, I find. You know, if you're bottom up, gripped by something, it's often out of novelty or interest. Yeah, like you, you're not even trying to focus on it. You just find it so interesting. It just just shows up. Yeah. Okay. So that's stage one. That's easy, I think. <laughs> it gets deeper when you really think about it. Hmm. And then stage two is imitating and audiating tonal patterns and rhythm patterns and recognizing and identifying a tonal center and macro beat. If we just take, let's just take it tonally. So you're able to imitate and audiate tonal patterns and recognize and identify a tonal center. So basically, there's a resting tone here somewhere. And you're able to imitate and audiate tonal patterns and recognize and identify this resting tone. So now you've got a See, now you've got some context, and the context isn't a tonality yet. The context is just this note that is the one that, you know, the, the, the bass note, the, the what, the baseline note, <laughs> baseline tone yep. that uh, from which you can now start to uh, establish a more objective sense of what you're doing, but it's not a tonality yet. All right, so how do we break that apart? Imitating and audiating tonal patterns. So imitating is interesting. So it's, you know, at this stage, we're making an attempt to actually reproduce some sound that we're, like, I always think about it. We have a sound, you know, enters our mind. We have this momentary retention of it. While it's in this momentary retention kind of vat of working memory, we we try to imitate what we're uh, very temporarily hearing internally or audiating, but we're also pinning it down so it it's going into our it has a context. And I think we could illustrate, you know, what happens if we don't supply resting tone. So you if you just start singing tonal patterns. And I don't establish some kind of resting tone when I'm trying to imitate that. I'm not really going to retain the information in the way that I want to. Because if, if one time you sing a, a, a set of tonal patterns, I hear a certain resting tone. And then another time I hear another resting tone. It's not really being organized in my mind in a dependable way. It's essentially going in different filing systems. Yeah. Yeah. If I hear... If I hear um, you know, if I hear Soti Ray, and we're supposed to be in major, 
like you said, we're not necessarily thinking tonality yet, but I have a resting tone in mind. Now that Soti Wraith is going to be stored differently than if we're in Dorian, or, or if I'm hearing Ray as the resting tone. Yeah, uh, bottom line is more fundamental than knowing the tonality is that you have a pitch center, a tonal center. Which is actually, this is really useful to know. Um, this is something that I've been doing more recently when trying to learn harmony, is just, instead of just singing the tonal pattern, just sing the resting tone. You know, listen to the tonal pattern and just sing the resting tone. Uh, it gets really useful, um, I think, at any level. Because if you if you can't summon the resting tone, I mean, you're you're gonna be lost at sea. Basically. Oh yeah, no, no, there's no understanding <laughs> without the resting tone. <laughs> kind of like me listening to somebody speak Japanese, maybe. <laughs> just, yeah. It's just noises. There's no meaning, and the beginning of yeah. getting that meaning, you know. Konnichiwa. I got one. <laughs> I got one thing. So it's interesting, stage two going into stage three, stage three being establishing objective or subjective tonality in meter. So this is different than the last stage, was identifying a tonal center and macro beats. This is this is kind of a level beyond that where you're you're establishing either subjective or objective full blown tonality or meter. Yeah. And all subjective tonality means is that you and I might disagree uh, uh, at the tonality. Like if I played this, you know, you could be audiating this, right? That's where it's going. Or you could be audiating that in Mixolydian or whatever. So that's what I heard. Yeah. Um, whatever you heard might or might not be the same as what I heard uh, or, or, or not heard. We heard the same thing. What you established a resting tone that was different than my resting tone earlier stage two or stage three uh your resting tone and my resting tone right could be the same <laughs> mm -hmm. um and then we would agree on the tonality likely unless it might not be so it's that's the funny thing about objective here it, it, yeah is that you could establish the same uh resting tone and tonality um, as me, then we that would be objective tonality. If you establish the same resting tone as me, but I heard it in a different tonality. I mean, right? a good example of this is the Aeolian versus harmonic minor versus melodic minor. I consider melodic minor to be an actual yeah. uh, tonality if it's used in a certain way. So, like, we could both be hearing law as the resting tone, but you're you know, I'm hearing the the underpinnings of melodic minor being more like a tonality versus, you know, something else. Yeah, either, either the music is a little bit vague and we, we would disagree or the music's um, less vague and that would tend to, right, tend to have us agree. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's funny, before we started recording this, I didn't realize, I, I thought we were just going to go through this part super fast and get to the harmony stuff, but this is, <laughs> it is really interesting, but I think, uh, let's keep going. So, yep. stage four. Consciously. Retaining. Yeah. Yeah. Re retaining an audio. Oh, you have consciously? Yeah. I just have. Yeah. Mine says, retaining an audiation tonal patterns and rhythm patterns that have been organized. Yeah, so you, you have organized to, into context. Again, now we have to do it consciously. 
That's part of the, yes. the update of the stages of evaluation. These things have grown. There used to be just five stages back in the 80s. So yeah, the, stage four and five got separated. Out. Okay. Uh, so you're consciously retaining in audiation tonal patterns that you have organized. Which is different than momentary retention. So like they're similar in a way, but but stage four, um, you're retaining it with the context along with it. In stage one, there's something in your mind, but it hasn't been organized yet. It's just yeah. It's there. a smaller bowl nested inside the larger bowl of resting tone, and the, and, the, mm -hmm. and that resting tone gives rise to your ability to objectively or subjectively establish tonality. If we're just talking mm -hmm. tones for right now, and then now you've got a nest inside this tonality the tones right the patterns so mm -hmm. you're you're organizing the patterns because you can't hear every note you're attending only and retaining only certain notes and the rest of it you fill in with your experience sure it's just it goes too fast goes which is why passing tones are possible because you you actually if you if you have for example a melody that's outlining a certain function but there's a ton of passing tones in it your brain can easily just kind of say like oh that that sounds like a tonic chord with a bunch of stuff kind of around it yeah and you have to and you have to organize those those patterns yeah. by listening to the notes that you're hearing all the tones that are happening it's funny organization is a funny word for this because I think someone could go the wrong way with that word and think it's somehow theoretically organized in their mind. But like at this stage, we're this can all happen, you know, just in just from listening yeah. to things oh, and, and singing a bit. All all these stages um, occur kind of like in a wheel, and you might only get to stage five before you go back to one, or you might only get to stage three before you go back to one, and it just keeps spinning. So if you think of a hamster wheel. You know, the hamster's not got enough energy to keep going. And it's just, you could do stage one, two, three, four in a, in a matter of a microsecond and then and then back and then just keep spinning that wheel. Um, you know, obviously you have to retain something before you can find the tonal center. And you've got a, that tonal center is established, um, you know, it, it has to be established before you can objectively uh, audiate meter. Or mm -hmm. tonality, um, and then you've mm -hmm. got to retain tonal patterns inside that tonality, and they need to be organized. And those, how they're organized is in these patterns that help give more precision to the level before it. So stage three, tonality, and then stage two, a tonal center, and then before that, you've got to you've got to attend, mm -hmm. you've got to pay attention, or be made to pay attention, or whatever. Um, so now, stage five, consciously recalling patterns organized and audiated in other pieces of music. So now you're making a comparison between the patterns. Yeah, so this is one I think we should highlight because they're like stage four and stage five are phrased very similarly, you know, but there's a difference in stage four. We're talking about retaining patterns that have been organized versus recalling patterns. Uh, organized and audiated in other music. So 
like to you, there's this comparison. Yeah, you're, you're comparing point. what you just started to begin to audiate by retention and, you know, going stage one, two, three. Four, you're retaining the patterns in what you're listening to. Five, you're comparing that pattern to something and other pieces of music. And although those other pieces of music aren't happening, you've already, you're, you're now uh, saying those are somewhat familiar. Or if they're not, then you haven't listened to enough music that way. Yeah, and, or, and this is really interesting because this is why when you're learning some new piece of content, you need a listening vocabulary or repertoire that has that element in it, or it's just you're. Well, it, this is where this is where it can fall down really quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, you get one, two, three, four. You're not going to make it to five if you don't have enough uh, experience in that tonality. Now, if you have experience in that tonality, you go one, two, three, four. You know, you get to five. It's like, but I haven't heard music like that a lot before. So. You're organizing mm. tonal patterns, but now you're not certain. So you can't spin up to five. This one's really interesting to watch as a teacher, to watch students go through, because they'll all you teach them a new song or a new little pattern in a song, and they all of a sudden start saying, hey, that sounds like this other song. Hey, that sounds like this other song. Mm -hmm. And it's not a conscious thing. It's like they just immediately pull up all these other songs in their mind. Uh, it just shows you how associative all this is. Yeah, yeah, and it can happen, uh, you know, and if something's totally familiar, right, then you're able to say, oh, I know what's going to come next. Or if, it's, uh, or, or if it's a familiar context or familiar pattern or so familiar, go, go back all the way back to the beginning. You have to pay attention. You've got a resting tone, and now I've got established tonality, and now I'm able to take those song, the whatever I'm hearing this melody say, and I'm turning it into tonal patterns. And now those tonal patterns that I'm organizing, do they make sense in the context of other songs I've heard that are in that tonality? So now you're rec recalling patterns, right? Organized and audiated in other pieces of music. So you've done that. You've done the stage four work elsewhere. So stage five brings it. Uh, brings it more confidence of, hey, I, I, I recognize this enough, not because necessarily I've heard it before, but I've heard other tonalities like it before. Just, yeah. just sticking with the tonal piece right now. And now you're able to, from that, because it's that familiar, it's like, ah, I think this is going to come next. So you could play me a jazz tune right now that I've never heard before, and I could still predict because I've listened to a lot of jazz, but I haven't listened to this tune that you're just playing. So I would, I would be able to predict, and, and sometimes I would be right, and sometimes I would be uh, wrong. Um, and maybe that's why I like jazz, <laughs> because oh, it's I often no doubt that I, into it. it's it's often because if you can if you can predict everything, it's pretty boring. You need to. Yeah, and we've also, we've often talked about that's why Mozart's so interesting to listen to because he almost. He sets you up to predict something and then just explodes your yeah. uh, expectation. <laughs> throws the banana peel on the ground. Uh, and, you know, a simple language analogy with the last one. It's like if I say I went to the, you know, you have a ton of nouns or places or whatever you want. to. You have a ton of words that show up in your mind that could finish that sentence. You have some ability to anticipate how to coherently finish that sentence. 
Yeah. Isn't that how humor works too? They, yeah, it they, sets up throws throws you off. <laughs> yeah, there are there are uh, I mean I don't know much about the psychology of the the, <laughs> the psychological mechanics of of a punchline <laughs> basically. But there's some kind of expectation built and then it's it might be toyed around with in terms of yeah. um something as a double meaning or yeah. I my my favorite is uh time flies like an arrow. And fruit flies like a banana. There you go. So the Groucho Marx. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the that was a big setup for basically talking about how does this play in when we talk about harmony? Because I'm I've kind of you know I'm I'm on the dark side. I've entered the side where harmonic learning sequence is a thing. It probably it seems like there's an aptitude to it. There is. Uh, it seems like you have to be really young to take advantage of this aptitude. It seems different in the in the uh, in the sense that um, growing it probably has a, sh a tighter window of development, uh, probably at a prenatal, if not you know really young age. But, yeah. It it's possible there's not enough research to know but all i know is that at two and at two and a half and certainly by three kids are able to reliably take it not everybody but there's some children who will attend to the two and a half minutes or three minutes <laughs> half of that which is the directions <laughs> do you think this uh, podcast would be interesting to people if like i had been one of your students <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like full grown, like proofs in the pudding. Eric knows what he's doing. Yeah. Well, you're working on getting married. So, you know, mm. who knows what will come <laughs> after that? I just became a great uncle. So, yeah. Just yesterday. Kids are in the, uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to have offspring. <laughs> okay. Because musical offspring, I, I, uh, be a lot, I, you, you have a case study right there. <laughs> <laughs> and not, yeah. But uh, at any rate, we would need to, to run a, a pretty big uh, study and provide experiences for one group and not for another or different kinds of experiences. Um, yeah. If anybody's this is if anybody's interested, we'll put a link in the show notes and you can take this. Um, you can take this. It's basically a survey of, of items, uh, survey monkey, uh, and I'll, I'll put it on. Uh, I'll put a link to it. You can give it to your. Anybody under six, seven, even um, seven years old and, and younger. And don't be surprised if your two or three year old doesn't want to do it. You get to catch them when they want when they want to do it. Mm -hmm. If they don't want to, don't don't force it. Just yeah. And then you just have to report what the kid says, <laughs> not what you want the kid to say. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but we can we can do that. So. There is uh, a, a lot of variance in children, uh, and some children at four or five years old do not do uh, very well, uh, and some children at two or three do pretty well. Might get one or two wrong, generally three, but but it, it definitely uh, it definitely is an aptitude, and you can. Uh, and you see the results of those aptitudes in action, especially after you've learned a kid for five years and understand how they're 
harmonic aptitude is influencing what you're teaching? At least anecdotally, you know, from my teaching experience, teaching piano and guitar, um, I, I'm not giving people aptitude tests, especially not harmonic aptitude tests, but, you know, I'll, I'll teach someone for three or four years, and you can see who's interested in playing chords and who's not. So, like, often, you know, I teach a lot by road and by ear, and everyone likes learning melodies of familiar songs because it's very satisfying when you start as uh, instrumental student to play melodies because that's what you know people are singing that's what they're audiating but there is a very small subsection of students that actually like playing chords that are not attached to melodies and i i would not be surprised if this is correlated with their harmonic aptitude because a lot of them are just quite frankly not interested the 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 level of uh skill that it takes to play you know certain chords on the guitar is a lot for a beginner guitar player and if they're also not interested in playing chords for their own enjoyment, like if you put them in a song, they, they tend to enjoy it more, obviously. But a lot of them, um, from what I think, after I've had them for three or four years, you start to see, like, possibly who has good harmonic aptitude, because they just, quite frankly, they just eat up chords. And often lessons don't even consist of, I'm not even teaching them a song with a melody that's attached to these chord progressions, and they just want to play them over and over, just the chord progressions. Yeah. So I find that... Yeah, I'd be interesting. I'd be curious to to give those guys, you know, H I R R harmonic improvisation readiness record, or mm -hmm. or the rhythm improvisation readiness record, um, and 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 see if that uh, hypothesis, you know, um, you know, seems valid. Yeah, because at least numbers wise, it seems like it's about three to five out of 40 students that have super strong harmonic aptitudes. And I'm, when I mean super strong, like I'm not testing anyone. It's just, yeah. those are the students that are like eating up, learning yeah. chords and composing yeah. songs with chords. You know, just, you know, they have high aptitude because they're achievement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm comparing that with the dosage, you know, so like I'm seeing them for 30 yeah. to 60 minutes versus other students that I've seen for 30, 60 minutes for the course of, you know, similar amount of years, yeah. and they just seem to be achieving yeah. at a much faster rate. Now, so that I mean, I'm not I'm not making any yeah. huge claims about their aptitude, but they're at least observationally, yeah. it's like, oh, you know, this person's already learning like jazz harmony, and the other person's like still not really wanting to play one four five. You can assume <laughs> high aptitude from high achievement. The problem is you don't know the other way around. Yeah, and I think I've really enjoyed our conversations because I, I feel very comfortable with that. Yeah. Now that seems more clear to me than it was, I think, in the past. Yeah. Um, so, right. are we ready to to put harmonic audiation in here? So rhythmic um, audiation is pretty simple. You're retaining, and instead of a a resting tone, you're establishing a a beat or a pulse somewhere, right? A macro. And then you're yeah, a, a macro beat. <laughs> I. Yeah, I'm not gonna go there. Um, yeah, and, and stage three um, is now you've got a meter. So now that macro beat and micro beats come together, right? Yeah, and then and then you've got to get the patterns inside to that context. And then is it familiar from other pieces of music? Now you're stage five, and then now you can predict. You know, so that I think that's pretty easy once you understand the tonal uh, rhythm. It's obviously not a pitch; it's it's the meter. 
what we're after. And you've got to have a meter only after you've established some kind of beat somewhere, macro beat in this case. Um, so eventually you predict, and that's where we're going. So harmonically. Harmonically, this gets very interesting because there's, there's an immediate issue that shows up at stage two. Um, but yes. So the stage one is it's very similar. Yeah. Like, okay, it, we hear it. it it's yeah. So, you gotta pay attention. But at stage two, how do you imitate harmony if you're not singing tonal pattern? Because we're talking about like a full harmonic gestalt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I was saying off air earlier that there may be something to guitar players and piano players being able to by rote play these things on their instruments that might help. I mean, that doesn't mean they're going to be audioing what they're playing, but I mean. Maybe this is why um, I, I think it, one way we could look at harmonic audiation and the stages of harmonic audiation could just be in the context of a harmonic progression. So there's a lot of that seems to clarify a lot of this stuff. Listen, if you know yes and no, mm -hmm. which is what I've been successful at teaching two and three year olds, right? In fact, you don't even need to teach it to them, you just give them this this um measure that i have this game my dr eric's you know game mm. of harmonic uh, understanding so um if you know yes and no you pretty much have established tonality and i think that harmonic recognition And I don't know where that comes from. So you don't have to have tonal patterns to be able to do yes and no. In fact, knowing yes and no makes tonal patterns easier. So harmonic audiation in its stages is a little bit disruptive to these, the way they're set up because tones don't give rise to harmony. Harmony gives rise to tones, at least in my thinking about this. Um, it's certainly the case that harmony is easier to audiate um, because it can be done at a younger age. I can't get two and three year olds to audiate tonal patterns and sing them for me. I can get that they imitate a little bit, but they are not capable of doing patterns at the oral, oral level, but they are able to tell me yes and no and discriminate between those two harmonic functions. And so if that's the case, this harmonic aptitude or harmonic stage of audiation kind of takes those stages two, three, and four where you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about having having the capacity to sing in your mind or you know audiate tonal patterns and if you do it's probably easier for you to audiate harmonic patterns and then are those harmonic patterns familiar to you mm -hmm. And then you're up to five and six, you know, then you can predict. So I think harmonic 
audiation and stages kind of collapses and makes easy stages two and three. And then you're, and then, right, and then only once you've got the harmonic patterns there, then tonal patterns can come in at stage four. So I just want to, uh, and this, I just want to support what you're saying because, you know, Eric, so Eric's experience is doing this with like you know, super young kids, and I don't have as much, nowhere near as much experience teaching super young kids. You know, once in a while I get a four or five year old. But my own experience with learning to audiate um, harmony definitely is support for what you're saying in terms of any times, any time that I've by rote played myself the chord changes I'm trying to learn to audiate, and then later learn to sing as you know tonal patterns. Basically, um, it's always easier than starting with the tonal pattern. Um, and by easier, I mean. I'm just I'm audiating the the chord progressions and the, and the functions at a higher quality in less time, and um, that's kind of what I was saying before. But there there might be something to guitarists and, and pianists being able to do that for themselves uh, when when they're teaching themselves new functions. But um, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a really big fan of that, and at least there's other learning theorists. You know, uh, we've been talking about Engelman a lot, but. I just want to bring this to the public's attention because I've mentioned this to Eric a lot that Engelman actually encouraged people when they were learning hierarchical types of information to start at the biggest hierarchy. So, I mean, what does that mean for music? It means that the function should be learned before the individual content that makes up the function, the function or in a, in a language analogy, you want to teach kids what vehicles are um, before you teach them what, um, you know, buses are. Because then you can say, well, a bus is a vehicle. But if you teach them what a bus is, they tend to resist calling a bus a vehicle later on. They'll say, no, 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 that's a bus. It's not a vehicle. But if you teach them what vehicles are at large, they tend to have an easier time. And I think the same thing goes on with functions and tonal patterns. If you teach someone to audiate the full function first and recognize it and perhaps even use it on the instrument, the tonal pattern is it just seems to fall into place easier and and uh i mean i would be great if we could do research on this yeah so uh, what happens here is you start to collapse oral oral verbal associates and and experience all at once like stage three because yeah. you you can't help but if you know one five one and they, the kids don't know it, but they know you can't end the song there. So there's this, you know, yes is, is the tonic chord and no is the dominant chord. And it could be major or minor, but major is more familiar. So it's easier for kids to respond and, and label what they're hearing. And how do they label that? Well, they just know that the song can't end there. Or, you know, there's songs that do end on the dominant, you know, and just drift out to nowhere, you know, some uh, Chinese uh, folk uh, uh, songs can end on dominant, and also, you know, Gabrielli, uh, Baroque music will sometimes end on the dominant. To give you an, you know, eternal feel at the end of the song, it's, it's, it never really ends, because you don't get yeah. the, the resting 
sound. But the fact that it makes you feel like it doesn't end is like they're comparing it yes. to the expectation of it ending. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't take away the, that doesn't mean because the song ends there that it always is the tonic. Um, but, but those are um, few and far between compared to those that either end on a very objective tonic, which is why I think major I, I, and minor. I have a piece of, I have a piece of sheet music in front of me. The last chord is D minor. Surprise. <laughs> the song's in D minor. <laughs> Tonic. <laughs> um, so what I'm saying is when a two-year-old says, no, you can't end there. Please as white as, can you end on Ray T? So <laughs> the kid goes, no, you can't end there. You got to end on here. Um, yes, that's where you end. So when you have a kid tell you that's where it ends and that's not where it ends tonic and dominant that's where it ends that can't be where it ends no um you've established objective tonality and the kids can retain that right and say oh you played that for me before or i recognize this in these other songs you know and that and that's a really good reason why I like doing my my first thing is I, I teach, you know, Mary Had a Little Round, Itsy Bitsy Spider, Wheels on the Bus, uh, and uh, Go Tell Aunt Rody. Anything that has the same exact harmonic pattern and the same exact harmonic rhythm so that kids yeah. start to recognize it. So that when we go to yes, no songs that have a different um, harmonic rhythm, that it sticks out to them. Um, oh, let's can we pause on that for a second? Because that's an <laughs> okay. insane point. And th this is often, I think, this is why a lot of people struggle with learning jazz because, like, there's all these crazy functions, and then when they, when they get a new function, they're trying to get it into their ear. There's not necessarily a wealth of songs that have the same function, the same function that they're trying to learn in a in the same harmonic rhythm in this, you know, in the same song structure. Um, so it, it, it's hard to kind of intuitively pick up on the fact that you know this is the same thing in all these songs you can't get to um stage five you know yep comparing things yep so so having a bunch of songs with the same harmonic structure same harmonic rhythm makes that stage five come to life yeah because then you could compare them um exactly and then you're predicting and then once they're comparing enough you can actually make subtle um, variances on purpose. You can start playing yes. with the harmonic rhythm and say, "You introduce a function that isn't yes or no, and it's like you've torn down their prediction. Because where's yes going to go to? No. Where's no going to go to? Yes. And I let them tell me what to play. So one kid will say, "No, no, 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 no." And then finally, somebody will say, "Say yes." <laughs> and then somebody will say, "Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no." And they think that's funny, but where are you going to end? And, right? And the kids. Yes goes to no, no goes to yes, and eventually I'll play uh, a four chord. And it's like, is that yes or no, or something different? And if they can't tell me that's something different, then they don't know yes and no well enough. So I go back and do more songs or do it for a longer time. And then by then they're predicting uh, with yes, no easily. And now you've made it so that the prediction is wrong because now there's uh-oh. And now you can go one four five one or you can do one four one five one. 
Yes. Right? Or you can do five, four, one, as I do in the blues. So now you've got all these new options. And it, so it's, so, but you got to nail those down before you go further. So you're constantly interrupting the stage four, five, six in there. Because uh, the, the establishment of tonality is just so much more easily done with mm -hmm. five one than it is with tonal patterns. And that I'll go to my grave on. <laughs> it's just... Well, I mean, a lot of MLT teachers even use chords before they launch into something I, to do such a thing. I think that the... That the... This... It's just... it. It's not as effective as this. That's like rock solid. This... So it's good, and you should establish. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you can you can put. I just went to minor. Yes. Um, if you're not at an instrument, right? If you don't sure. have a yeah. if you don't have a uke around your neck, right? If you don't have the piano, and I don't know why you're walking around the your music teacher. <laughs> uh, you're not giving your kid then. Then what you're doing is robbing them of the experiences of of harmony and no excuse not to have a harmonica with you you need to have some kind of <laughs> you need some harmony you need to give them harmonic listening experiences so they can develop their vocabulary the same as we give them all kinds of you know and this is not to say that every song no half of your songs should have some harmony you know you sing melodies by themselves sure you know do chants i do chants all the time i do chants you know, two, three times a class. But I also make sure that I'm giving them harmonic vocabulary by playing, singing a melody while playing harmony, or while I play uh, a melody, I'm also playing the harmony that goes with it. Often enough that they have a chance to grow their listening vocabulary. And then eventually, they're naming vocabulary because that's really what happens next. And then they sing roots. And once they sing roots, then now you've got the whole world opened up to you in terms of all the tonalities. And it's oh. so much easier with, um, and you could refer back to our earlier, um, uh, we had an earlier episode on essential functions. Mm -hmm. And and it's just so much easier for children to understand meter. I mean, sorry, meter too, but tonality, it's like this. Rather than... Even the second one's even, I think, for a lot of people, more recognizable after you do the first one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the... Uh, the uh... The benefit of the using the more scalier type thing is that you could actually a student could learn to sing that on their own. Yeah, sing that themselves. Yeah, you can. So, I mean, you can't something. perform harmonic functions away from an instrument, except through patterns. And it's very yeah, helpful. Let's let's thing. let's underline this again. Singing tonal patterns. It's really 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 uh, essential. 
to better understanding yeah, harmonic saying. functions. We're not eliminating them. We're not supplanting them. We're saying that it's easier to learn harmonic functions than it is to learn to sing tonal patterns. However, tonal patterns <laughs> really strengthen your harmonic understanding, uh, especially you know as you add the verbal associates to it and then make those comparisons of partial synthesis. There's something here between kind of the stage four, five, six that we've been alluding to, but I, I think it's really important from a practical standpoint. We, we talked about having familiar songs with familiar harmonic uh, functions in the, in the specific order. So all these songs that were Mary Had a Little Lamb, Wheels on the Bus, they all have this one, one, five, one thing. And at a certain point, you introduce more changes in the harmonic form, but you keep the same functions. So if they, if they know one and five or one, four, five, you, you do a bunch of songs with one, four, five that are in different orders. And this, I think what this leads to is your ability to anticipate more because now, well, I've heard a song where the one chord goes to the five chord, or the one chord goes to the four chord, or the one chord just stays on the one chord. So you, you almost develop like an ability to anticipate it going in all these different directions. And that's not really spelled out as an activity you should do in these stages, but it, it clearly is something that helps. Yeah, yeah. I... If, if you only know, you know, if you know one, four, five, but you only ever hear a four chord after the one chord, I don't think that doesn't mean you can't hear the four chord, but it's different than knowing songs where the four chord is, is played for different harmonic rhythms and put in different spots. And like, Oh, I just got a, a different idea. Here's something I always did. And then I got this other idea. So what I've always done, is like, I'm teaching resting tone. And we sing, how I wonder what you, and the kids crack up because I'm destroying their prediction. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just destroying it. Because everybody knows Twinkle, right? And I do this uh, maybe three or four years old. It could be frustrating because kids at three don't want you to do things wrong often. Um, you know, and I just like lose it. That's not where it's supposed to end. It's supposed to end here. But what I haven't done, and this is the new thought I had, is doing... See, I like that sound. You know, I ended, right? But it's, but it's not ended. That's right, isn't it? But I, it's wrong, right? It's, that's not the right sound. You know, so I haven't teased their prediction harmonically. By throwing I mean, in the wrong... that's what deceptive cadences are, right? Yeah, You're... yeah. There's a there's a tone in the melody, maybe not, but I mean often there's a tone in the melody that Matches. is cashing out, but the harmony underneath yeah. is getting a little Yeah, weird. usually a six chord, minor six chord in major, right? That's why tritone subs work, because you're you hear T, but you put a different chord under it that has T in it, and part of the brain likes it, and part of the brain's like, holy smokes, what's going on here? Yeah. Um So I wanted to just mention you know, this stuff is absurdly powerful because I've always been very quick to learn harmony. I mean, when I met Eric, like, you know, I was fine with audiating all the tonalities and all the functions and the tonalities. And all that. I've been doing that for years. But I, from having our conversations, I've I've been trying to push my own like harmonic audiation further. 
And my goal right now is to audiate all the tritone subs of all the secondary two fives. And I'm making my way through the list, but just using Eric's methods has made this so fast. Like I'm averaging, you know, one every couple weeks is being added, like dependably added. And all I do is I just record the chord progression on my iPhone. I record a set of tonal patterns, familiar pattern, familiar order. It takes about a minute to listen to and sing. And I just listen to that a couple times a day. And, it, you know, it's basically musical steroids. And I just feel this would be very useful for the world at large to know, especially, you know, kids taking like jazz degrees in university. I mean, just considering how much some of these people practice with such, I'm, I'm talking about a five minute a day investment has the benefits. Um, it's just really useful to, to know about. I'm surprised more people uh aren't using that themselves. I mean, I, I often wonder how many uh, teachers are still pushing their own stuff yeah. further out. Push your own harmonic audiation. It's more uh, laid out tonally and rhythmically in, in curriculums that abide by MLT, capital MLT. Um, but uh, this harmonic piece is is definitely an expansion and it works because the children have shown me that it worked for over 15, 20 years that I've been developing it. Um, I'm just honing it. And now with the addition of, of, of my boy Sig <laughs> Engelman, <laughs> I'm going, I'm, I've got a new, uh, a new chasm to fill in, uh, in terms of getting, getting more, uh, reliable uh, progress from all of my students um, so that i mean that's one thing i've been doing is i a lot of the stuff i've been experimenting is just your work plus engelman's like ideas for how to when to introduce what and how yeah. how much success you should have before introducing something else and it just works like clockwork like i literally have a piece of graph paper that shows the stuff the the stuff that i can harmonically yeah. audiate and i can kind of predict how long it will take me to get something new in my ear now unless it's Really yeah. absurd, but even then, it's just a matter of going through the motion almost. Yeah, and finding songs that have those functions in them that I can actually listen to. Yeah, and I, it's it's just funny because I didn't know Engelman at all, but I found it in the kids. So, um, but now it's distinguished; it's present to me. So now I can actually use it rather than stumble around till I find what the kids are uh, ready for. Um, yeah. But so I, I just want to explain this. You said really quickly. You said you know two five one and everything. <laughs> two five one of all the dominance of of the dominance. Uh, two, Say it again. So I'm I'm learning to audiate. So you take all your functions in major one two three four. You know your one chord, your two chord, your three chord. You learn to audiate the secondary two five. So the two five progression that goes to every one of those functions. So like for example. The two five. If let's let's use the key of C, the two chord in the key of C is D minor. I'm learning to audiate the two five that would go to that D minor, which would be E minor seven flat five A seven, and then also learning to trade the A seven in for a tristone sub. So, you, so I've done all the sec. I've done all the first stuff. So there's so now two, I'm going just to two five one. But so now we're taking that same um, progression. And instead of this being do, you're gonna end on what? Re? Yep. 
put you in the context of the reason. So the reason we call it secondary and not just like the reason I'm not gonna um, do E minor to A minor to D is because I actually I'm pretending like the D is is now the um, the tonic. Mm -hmm. So I'm going. I'm I'm doing two five of one of D minor. But, but you still hear it in the... The reason I prefer to think of it as secondary because it's not like you're changing chialities into D minor, which is the wrong way to think about it, because you still hear C as the resting yes. chord. Yes. You're, you're playing the same chord, but in a different context. This was this was really uh, helpful for learning how to do this because when I first started trying to do this years ago, I would hear that as a key change. But now what I do when I make my little tonal pattern and, and harmonic patterns, you establish C as the tonality, go through it a couple times and just sing C. Just sing do. As you hear those progressions, so you hear the two five of two, just sing do. It'll keep hammering do in as the resting tone. And then later on, um, like I can hear that as a key change into D minor, but it also now sounds like it's, it's, it's not quite gone into D minor. It's still nestled in C, which is, I think, the problem that people have is like, and this is why, again, you know, my crusade on uh, pitch letters is that once you get into this, I, I really think that it's more useful to use pitch letters, but, you know, refer to past episodes. If I get to the point where I'm teaching what you just said, which wouldn't be that hard if I had the kids an extra year, because they're all, all they need to do is re, ra, do, or me, me, re. Really, just hear the yeah. roots. Hear the roots. Have a listening vocabulary of the functions. Have, you know, all I do is Mary had a little lamb, you know. Um, I think we've done this before. Mm -hmm. Right? Then. And I just ask them, do you want it the right way, the wrong way, or the jazzy way? And the right way is major, the right way is minor, and the jazzy way. You know, and I suppose I should do a jazzy minor eventually, too. But. The kids get to sure. choose, and therefore they're getting this experience, and they're getting it with the experience of something they already know. You're just changing one thing. And the one thing mm -hmm. I'm changing is the, you know, instead of so, do, I'm doing re, ra, do. And I could okay. do re, yeah. so, do, but I just happened to do this one first. So they're learning tritone substitutions before they're learning two, five, ones. And that doesn't matter because it's what their experience no, is. No, it it doesn't matter. And so I, um, I can go back in the 251, it'll be easy. The, so I have no doubt you can do this with solfege, but the, I think there's, <laughs> a pro, there's an instrumental pragmatic consideration here is that when you use the pitch letters, so for example, this 25 of 1 to D minor, that's also the 25 of 1 in D minor, and it's also the 25 of 3 in, in B flat. And it's also, you know, it. it yeah, yeah. It, it ends up making it easier instrumentally because you're at some level going to need to know what pitches you're playing. And so but that's when you get to that point. I'm saying yeah, and the I preparation to it's... that point. I, I, I just say it's easier to start with this, these verbal associates because they're, because they're uh, expandable. They, they work in every key. Sure. I mean, and, I, and once we you... don't know, like we don't, we don't know. I mean, all I'm basing this off of is uh, <laughs> jazz musicians don't use solfege generally. Some of them know it, but well, a lot of them if, don't. if they had, wouldn't it be easier? It's easier for my four or five-year-olds. That is true. That's true. I mean, but your students are also not playing instruments, which is, you know, maybe a confounder. Yeah, for um, sure. But I still think best practices, you know, move do, law-based minor, when your kids start learning all the secondary dominant two fives, 
then you're probably got the green light to do pitch letters. Yeah. I mean, for now, I think that's safe. Yeah. If they have a whole, I would say, if they have a whole lot of uh, experiences in most or many of the standard chord progressions. The so I, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And the and my you know my uh, interest in the pitch layers here is connected. Like I really I tried to use the solfege and it's fine. I can do it, but it ends up getting so cumbersome in terms of you can think of everything as movable though the wah bass minor. So that two five one yeah. to D minor, I could yeah. think about it as yeah. D minor was now wah, but it ends up being it, so much mental overhead to track where you are. You might as well just learn how to do everything with pitch letters. Yeah, it, it, for you, it's like hearing a, a new language, and I just think maybe you haven't had enough experience in that in that language to to make it worthwhile. And, and it, it's but not see, the worth, problem is when you if you use if you use solfege, you still need some way to track where the keyality is going. And so to do that, what what are you going to oh, do? Oh, you sing the rest of right? like, yeah. So when we're talking about progressions that essentially change keyality or could be viewed as changing keyality every bar, you need some way to label how the keyality shifted. Mm -hmm. So if like do is now la or do yeah. is now whatever. And all I'm saying is that yeah. the the benefit of pitch layers is that it eliminates that problem. It just now you can think of every keyality um, and how they're related to each other because you could audiate like you know, major going up in, in major seconds. But if you use solfege for that, which you, that's one of the greatest things about movable though, yeah. the law of those minors that you can move it, but you have to have some way of labeling what the move was. And that's why I don't yeah. think this is really a big so deal in choirs. Yeah. Because in choir, everyone's just doing it orally anyway, but on an instrument, it's really useful to have a, have a way of yeah. pinning it down. Like, no, the keyality moved like this far on my instrument. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, um, I'm not totally disagreeing with you. I, I, it's just when you're ready what you're saying is eric's come a long way guys i think the first time i mentioned this to eric you know like oh, there was there was some tension yeah no it was we weren't i literally we, we i mean gonna talk i wrote my it. arguments down on flashcards and i went for like two hour walks and i'm like fucking ordering the flashcards i'm like he's gonna say this to this like i have to, i need a way to defend this and when they're ready <laughs> but ah that should be my I should, that should be my phd like dissertation when they're ready you know <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> and we might disagree about when they're ready. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, um, you know, I, I still stand by the fact that I think there are different systems of of tonal um, labeling, and some systems might be better under certain circumstances. Yep. So, like, I think there is a bias here, and MLT curriculum often has uh, songs that are very well navigated using movable do la bass minors. It's not a surprise. But there's some songs that are just like well, painfully inconvenient. You know, when I when I get into uh, so what I what I need to do for myself is to see how quickly I can get uh, my kids to do these tritone substitutions and two five ones and that kind of stuff into uh, reading and writing. Mm -hmm. It's a symbolic association with that, and then eventually, you know, I do introduce. When it comes time to introduce notation, the first thing I do is put up, uh, you know, six, or sorry, seven sharps and seven flats yeah. up on the board. And then I teach them, you know, the last sharp is always T, and the mm -hmm. second to the last flat is always Do. 
So I think that works when you're when you're using uh, again, like I said with choir, when you're using students that are navigating notation like purely with their own audiation, they have no instrument to rely on. The problem with an instrument is that you need a way to talk about a specific pitch beyond its solfege context, mm -hmm. and I think that's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, and when I, that I is a problem. and so when I do that, and everybody understands that this just means that the last sharp is T and the second to last mm -hmm. flat is Do. Then I teach Bob Eats All Day Gets Called Fat, and Frank can go driving after eating breakfast. <laughs> yeah. That's just what I learned when I was in high school. But I'm here teaching that to, that to first, yeah, first graders he are learning, you know, and, they, and that's just a mnemonic, you know, trick. Uh, and then, and so now they've no pitch letters, and so that what that means is that now I'm going to put a, a tone, you know, and I put the G clef up, and I said, this is where the girls, you know, this is where you sing, and this is where I sing. This is where girls and boys sing here, and I put a bass clef, and this is where I sing. Mm -hmm. When I'm not in my, you know, boy's voice, tell them my, my boy's voice stays with me forever. Um, so, uh, and I and once I do that, then then they can say, okay, that's uh, I say this is G dial, and they read the rest with solfege. Sure, yeah, yeah, or whatever I the, pick. Um... The law they they pick the and then I have them pick the the keyality, and and I show them how to work through that when they're ready. Um, mm -hmm. You what do you you want? Mary had a little lamb. Okay, let's write it down. Let's show you what it looks like, and I'm, and I expose them to all the sharps and all the flats, and they can pick anything they want, and I they see how I yeah. See, when you're getting someone to sing, I mean that's not a big deal, but if you try to do that with a guitar player, it's gonna be a nightmare. Yeah, you can't introduce that many key. Yeah, it's not an audience. So much confusion. It's not an audiational issue. It's a uh, it's a technical issue. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, if I give this example through again the stages of audiation, when when you look at stage. Five, like recalling patterns and comparing them to, to what you've organized mentally and other music that you've heard. You know, why is what I'm saying with pitch letters useful? It becomes useful when like, you know, for example, I was doing this like this five of two with the tritone sub. So it's like in the key of C, it's like E flat seven mm -hmm. going to B minor, basically. Mm -hmm. That becomes useful when I know a ton of songs that have that progression, but also have E7 in other contexts. And then I, or sorry, E flat seven. And I start thinking like, hey, this E flat seven sounds different than this other E flat seven. Yeah. And this other E flat yeah. seven. Yeah. And this other E flat seven. Yeah. So the, the information load that you need to get to for that to become powerful is high. And that's yes. why I doubt anyone saying that like, well, I tried to teach this with kids and they learned solfege faster. Like, no wonder. Because... What you, when you when you use movable do with a la base minor, everything is internally comparable. So you get this generalization possibility earlier yes, on. But what I'm saying is that there are benefits that come once you hit kind of like an event horizon, exactly. and it takes a long time to get there. But when they're ready, <laughs> I, I will stand by the fact that there there is a level of generalization you can get to when you're using pitch letters that you can't have with solfege. And the question becomes like, when is that trade off? Yeah. If someone tells me they want to be a professional jazz musician learn the damn pitch letters and and burn all this in your mind every key all pitch because yeah because that's a reasonable task to ask someone to do but if, if we have a 
you know, elementary school musician who wants to learn some jazz, but they're not going to put that much time into it. Like, yeah, just teach them the solfege because like, yeah. I'm not saying the solfege is worse. I'm just saying like, it might not warrant the amount of time you need to put in to get to this, uh, critical mass you need to yeah. get to with yeah with at pitch some layer. point that's my argument yeah no it's it's really good it's the best you've stated it i think you get to the point is. where you at generalization and the kids teaching themselves and you've got pitch letter names that you've got to introduce mm. you know then the kid will generalize what you know into not theory but theoretical understanding so and I think yeah. I think those two different things. So the readiness is always audiational, not knowledge. So there is there is possibly another confounder is the fact that I know the solfege as well. So maybe the benefits I'm experiencing come from knowing the pitch layers and the solfege. Because when I sing that tone that crazy tonal pattern I was singing before, so lights up in my <laughs> mind. And I know like the G and the E flat seven chord is so it is the five of C. Yeah. It's all that at the same time. So yeah. there might be that too. The solfege might have a I mean, that's what I've claimed for a long time now. And I think no, I think learning both systems yeah. give you power to generalize in their own specific ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I just, yeah, I don't see how you're going to navigate key changes, like keyality changes, without having some way of labeling how the keyality moved. And you have to either do that theoretically or like, it could be so awkward to yeah. say, like, if we go from B flat major in a piece to C major. Like, how are you going to label the, the shift? You have to use, like, we're not going to say whole step. People will have a heart attack. <laughs> but are we going to say that Ray uh, turned that, into Do? Yeah, like, yeah, that's what I say. I have I, My second graders, you know, I have a song that goes, it starts in D Dorian, then it, it goes to F major, and it goes to D minor, and it goes from D minor back to D Dorian. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, just Ray is now... La, and then right, and I just you know we go up to here now change. Now now it's now when they play A, it's like that's now me. Not it's it's now me in F do, and now it goes from F do to D la. So it's now me la because now we're in minor, and now we're gonna go back. So now call this do re. But see, if you don't see what I'm saying is if you use the pitch letters, there are some insights that you gain that you can't have with the solfege. Like if you if you say we were in D Dorian, F major, D minor, to me, it's like, well, D Dorian going to F major, what's changing well, is the B flat. I don't. Yeah. B. And I mean, well, that's harder to glean from the, the solfege than. Because if you know, if you know the pitch letters and the solfege, I mean, you can you can have the insights of both. Yeah, I'm just not ready with them yet. I wouldn't have been. Yeah, that makes I wouldn't sense. have been ready with them to do that yet. I want them to audiate the. So I'm I'm having them audiate modulations, and that sure. that was no problem for them. So that's all. That that this is now the resting tone, and now this is the resting tone. Now this is the same resting tone, but it's different. Like D, it's D ray and D and D la, and that was yeah. that was interesting to them. And then F was do. Mm -hmm. You know, for long enough that they recognize it as, as major. Um, this is my um, uh, little one is in my book that does that. My lullaby, okay. my lullaby called Little One. Why don't you please go to sleep? Mm -hmm. I'm not, 
I, I'm not familiar with it, but <laughs> so, yeah, this goes. The, the changes are fine. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I also think another issue with this pitch letter thing is not a lot of people that learn pitch letters, like as their like possible verbal associate, I don't think a lot of them are even using it like that, but they only learn major and minor. They don't even learn the tonality. So yeah. they're like, yeah. they're further from, you know, what we're even talking about. Because I'm talking about using pitch letters, but learning all the tonality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of them aren't You're even doing that. You're giving them a really strong vocabulary of tonalities and functions and height and, and meters. So if they have enough of all of that, then they're ready for whatever they're ready for. And when they're ready for pitch letters, you do that, especially when you're teaching instrumental. This is the thing. I haven't been teaching instrumental uh, enough except uh, my uh, xylophones that I use with the kids. And then that's easy because the freaking letters are on the bars. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I just give them a place to start. I, I'm a fan of that. I mean, a lot of piano teachers would, you know, roll over in their graves with the letters written on the piano, but it just... Yeah. Well, my my daughter in the beginning. my daughter was uh, three years old and she went downstairs to the piano, <laughs> and she was supposed that because every time she played the xylophone and the leftmost key was always C, she started on C. So was it actually a C on your piano? It, no, that's A. <laughs> it's a, oh, it's it's a, a real on piano. Your piano. It's the, oh, it's, okay. the left, I wasn't sure. The leftmost keys, you know. It's a, Standard piano, so I got, you know, I've got red marks on my, on the ivories with permanent sharpie. So it's funny too because like people with perfect pitch, like what I'm what I'm advocating is different than perfect pitch because like if you have perfect pitch, you you have this problem with uh, transposing instruments. Yeah, but if you use pitch letters as like a non-perfect pitch based thing, like. If I'm reading trumpet music yeah. or I'm reading yeah. something else, I don't care. Like I can, yeah. it doesn't matter to me. Which, if we look at it from the uh, absolute yeah. perspective or or the transposing instruments perspective, it's all fine. Yeah. That, that's fine. All right. Well, <laughs> I couldn't help. <laughs> yeah, that's a good good uh, good argument.